Well, over the past few weeks, uh, let me catch you up if you've missed. Uh, two weeks ago, we talked about the, the role of the church, okay, and how Satan, Lucifer at the time, was in heaven, and then because of pride, God cast him down, okay? So now the church's role is to be the worship leader, amen? Amen. amen. Now, last week, Pastor Jamie shared on how the Holy Spirit is keeping the enemy's plans at bay, and how we, the church, are carriers of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And how many of us know one day Jesus Christ is coming back for his church? (laughs) But as we talked about the church over the past couple of weeks, uh, I've been reflecting and I asked myself this question, question which we're going to talk about here today. Jesus is coming back for his church. What kind of church is Jesus going to come back to? Jesus is coming back for his church. But what kind of church is Jesus coming back to? Now we established that the church is not a building. It's not a place. It's us, right? It's the people. We are the church. But with that question in mind... What is Jesus coming back to? So today is going to be intentionally challenging. Could be potentially, just giving you a warning now, uncomfortable, okay? Uh, Maybe even borderline offensive. I'm just warning you now, okay? (laughs) And also, disclaimer, I don't have this all figured out either. All right, so we're all in good company together, okay? <laughs> but it could be offensive. And, and honestly, listen, this is the word of God. I would give my life for this. I live my life by this, okay? It's easy to clap now, but it sometimes is offensive, okay? Like if you read in Luke 9, okay, where Jesus is talking to some people and he said, hey, guess what? You want to learn how to live? First, you have to learn how to die. (laughs) What? What does that mean? (laughs) Like, you're telling me this book isn't all about my happiness? Ooh. Hey, listen, I warned you. (laughs) This book isn't all about my hopes and dreams. I'm not the hero in this book. Friends, can I tell you Jesus Christ is the hero of this book? Now, certainly, certainly, we have a role as the church, certainly, and we'll talk about that. And Jesus came and died for us, but we are not the heroes. Jesus Christ is the hero, and today, he has some words for his church, okay? So with that in mind, what kind of church is Jesus coming back to? Now, thank goodness It's a multiple choice option. Multiple choice option. Okay. So we're going to open our Bibles. We're going to scroll, however you get your word, okay, to Revelation chapter 3. I'm going to paraphrase this a little bit to get caught up for time's sake, okay, but we'll be landing at Revelation chapter 3. Now, Revelation is the book in the Bible that actually says it blesses the reader. This isn't in our notes, but Revelation 1.3 says, Blessed is he who reads... And those who hear the words of this prophecy and keeps the things which are written in it. For the time is near. 
for the time is near. Now, a little bit of context. Uh, the Apostle John is writing the book of Revelation, okay? Matter of fact, many historians thought the Apostle John, they tried to martyr him, okay? They tried to kill him, and they couldn't do it. So because of that, they just banished him. <laughs> they just kicked him out and, and exiled him to an island called Patmos. Now, this is where Jesus gives the revelations to the Apostle John, okay? So this morning, I might say Jesus says, I know John is the writer, but Jesus is the author, okay? Woo! All right, you ready? We're still good, right? We're good? Okay. You still love me? We're still friends, right? <laughs> well, we'll see if we can change that. Here we go. Now, in Revelation uh, chapters 1 through 3, Jesus is addressing seven churches. These are our multiple choice options, okay? Jesus is addressing seven churches. And we're going to break these seven churches up into three groups, okay? These are our choices. A church that Jesus only says good things about. A church that Jesus only says good and encouraging things about, okay? Second option, Jesus says a lot of good things and encouraging things to the second option, but then he offers some correction to that group of churches, okay? The last option is a group of churches Jesus only corrects, okay? The group of churches he only corrects. Now, the first church, the church Jesus praises and encourages. This is the goal, right? When Jesus comes back, this is what we want to be known for, right? And in those two churches is the faithful church of Philadelphia and the persecuted church of Smyrna. Now, what do we think would bring Jesus to say such kind words to these churches? Well, the faithful church of Philadelphia, no matter what happened, this church held on to the truth of God, no matter what. And the persecuted church of Smyrna. Now, this is a story in the Bible, the shortest letter that Jesus wrote of the seven churches. It's like four or five sentences long. They're run-ons sentences, okay? So for my grammar folks, Mrs. Lockwood, they're run-ons. Okay, they're run-on sentences. It drove me crazy. But they were the persecuted church. So they were faithful no matter what. They held on to the truth of God to the point where they were willing to be persecuted, willing to die for the church. That's the first group. And again, Everything was right in the eyes of Jesus with this church. Kind of like my Detroit Lions. Come on, somebody. Let's go. Hey, we're good. We're good. <laughs> this is not every year. Come on, Ed. Ed's a Packers fan. <laughs> Listen, let us be good, okay? Let us be good. Oh. Second group of churches. This is the church that had a lot of things figured out, but Jesus also wrote to correct some things. This is the church at Ephesus. Some of us may know this story. This is the church that labored and labored and labored for the Lord. But when Jesus wrote to them, he said, listen, I know your works, but you've forgotten your first love. You've forgotten about me. So here you are being busy right? Laboring, laboring, going, going, going. And we forget 
to spend time with God. Now, again, I told you, I'm going to be honest. I struggle with that. Is that okay? <laughs> it's not every day I wake up and think, man, how can I take up my cross today? Huh? No, life's busy. And I get it. We got three kids. They're homeschooled. We teach them school. My wife, Andrea, is a full-time student in school. Life's busy. But life should never be too busy for us to spend time with our Creator. Now, the church of Pergamos, the Bible says, this is the land where Satan dwells. So in modern terms, in my opinion, this is the Secretary of State office. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh. Listen, you forget one document after you've waited for three hours and you've got to come back and wait another three hours with three kids. The land where Satan dwells, I'm just telling you. <laughs> Why Jesus said that is because surrounding the church of Pergamos and even the last church in this group, the church of Thyatira, is that they were surrounded by false worship, false gods, false idolship. But they still held on to their faith. Okay, so this is where Jesus is encouraging them. Good job, you still believe in me. Now where he offers some correction, listen, is because they were surrounded by sin. The church started allowing false doctrine, false beliefs into their pulpit, into their church. To the fact it got so bad that church started thinking that sin it's just normal. This is just normal. Again, okay, I'm going to be real. I've been there too, okay? You just do and do and you get busy and busy. And eventually, man, I did all this for God. It's okay for me to lower my standards for myself a little bit, right? Listen, I know it's just me. I know you guys have it figured out, okay? <laughs> but friend, can I tell you, sin isn't supposed to be normal. Now, I want to be careful, okay, because there's grace, okay? God doesn't demand perfection. He only asks for us to be better today than we were yesterday, okay? But it might sound like sin is okay sometimes, or listen, God will forgive me later. I guess I'm the only one who's ever said that. <laughs> no. But sin is not normal. And can I, on top of that, can I tell you, God has not called us his church, to be normal. He's called us to be salt and light to the earth. Check this out. Matthew 5 says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You, Restoration Church, are the light of the world, a town that is built on a hill that cannot be hidden. Now, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. And instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Now, in the same way, let our light shine before others so that they may see our good deeds and glorify who? 
we're not the heroes. We're not the heroes. Our job is to reflect that light, reflect the love, the light of Jesus Christ so well that the world can't help but wonder what it is we have and how can they get that for themselves. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, now the last group of churches, remember the first group was just praised, second group was praised and corrected. Now this is not the goal. The goal is not to be the church that is only corrected, okay? These two churches, the first one is the church of Sardis. Uh, the Bible says it's the spiritually dead church, okay? Uh, and Matthew, it reminds me in Matthew 23 where Jesus is talking to the religious leaders of his day. Most of the chapter, he's roasting them. It's awesome. You should check it out, Matthew 23. <laughs> but he talks to them, and he says, you guys remind me of whitewashed tombs. Whitewashed tombs, much like the church of Sardis. Now, what that means, it's on the outside. We're pretty. We got it all together, right? But on the inside, we're spiritually dead. You know, it's almost like we spend all of our time and our energy and our resources on putting on this fake facade that we leave no time to invest into our soul. Now, again, I've been here before too. Hey, Dustin, how you doing? Oh, I'm great. Praise the Lord. Everything's good. Family's good. Wife's good. We never fight. No, no. We have a hallmark marriage, right? <laughs> It's about Hallmark time, right? Kids are great. They're little saints. They're angels. I never have to repeat myself. It's awesome. Listen, I already found out who the parents are in the room, right? <laughs> we spend so much time putting on that fake that we don't invest into our spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Mike. Now, this last church, the church of Laodicea, again, is not the goal. And this is where we're going to begin reading in our Bible. Revelation 3.14. Let's turn there if you're not there already. Now, oh, I probably should do that myself. Listen, I told you I'm flawed. <laughs> oh, I love you guys too. Thanks, Miss Rose. All right, so before we read, here's an important thing that I noticed, and I want you guys to go through and read these letters, okay, chapters 1, 2, and 3, for yourself. They're fascinating. But here's a trend that Jesus is doing. Before he addresses his church, he reintroduces himself. Before he addresses his church, he reintroduces himself. Check this out. Revelation 3.14, it says, To the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things say the amen, the faithful and true witness, and the beginning of the creation of God. Now, if you've been here even last week, amen is a word we use quite often. <laughs> amen. Right, right. It means so be it. Okay? It's like an exclamation mark at the end of a declarative sentence. It is the final word. Now, what's encouraging to me is here is a church that we'll read about in just a moment who thinks they're so well off they don't even need God anymore. <laughs> they got it all figured out. They don't even need him anymore. But what's encouraging to me 
is that God still sees them. He's still writing to them to address the issues, okay? So what that means for us today is that no matter what you walked in here with, no matter what addiction or temptation you're facing or struggling with, no matter maybe what fight you got in on your way to church, husbands, just apologize when you get home, okay? Look her in the eye, don't text it, don't call it, okay? <laughs> maybe uh, no matter the words your parents used when you were growing up, okay? Maybe no matter what your bank account says, no matter maybe what your doctor just informed you, Jesus is reminding us today that he has the final word over our lives. He is the amen. Now, Jesus is also reminding us he's faithful and true. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Listen, he's been faithful to me. He's true to who he says he is. And lastly, he says he's the beginning of the creation of God. Check this out in John 1. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He, meaning Jesus, was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him, in Jesus, is life, and the life was the light of men. And let the light shine in the darkness, and the darkness cannot comprehend it. Can I tell you again, our job is to reflect the love and life of Jesus. Now listen, don't be concerned when the world doesn't understand that. Revelation 3.15, Jesus is addressing this lukewarm church. I would say we're almost done, but we're not almost done. <laughs> he says, I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich. Because you say, I am wealthy. I have no need for anything. I don't need God. I got riches. I got wealth. That's what they're saying. Here's Jesus' response. Do you not know that you're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, you're naked. So I counsel you to buy from me, Jesus says, gold refined in the fire so that you may actually be rich. White garments that you may actually be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness, birthday suit, may not be revealed. Listen, I got to throw them in there. It's heavy. <laughs> Anoint your eyes with eye salve so that you may actually see. Is it interesting to you that the more and more the world forces God out, the worse and worse seem to be? Now, in all transparency, the world has a problem with that. And because of that, friends... I think our modern-day church has a problem with that. Did you know that 4,000 and 7,000, four, between four and 7,000 churches will close their doors this year? Four and 7,000 churches. And that number is predicted to go up to 10,000. 
Did you know that the number of people who identify as true believers of God, the percentage has gone down 13%? 13. Usually, that number is going up. Now, it's going down. Did you know that less than 20% of Americans even regularly attend church? Church, can I tell you, we've got a problem. And can I tell you, I think that we're living in a time where Jesus is about to address his church. And he's going to reintroduce himself to us, who he is. But we shouldn't be shocked by this. Jesus warned us about this. Jesus warned us that lawlessness would abound and the love of many would grow cold in the last days. You see, Jesus warned us, and he's warning us, his church today, that if we're lukewarm, or if we get too busy, or we consider sin to just be normal for us, after everything he's done for us, it says that it makes him sick. Can I tell you, friends, lukewarm faith produces lukewarm Christians. I'm going to say it again because when I felt it, it hurt, okay? So I'm just going to give you the opportunity to hear it again. Lukewarm faith produces lukewarm Christians. Now let me prove it to you, okay? I just read a book. John, I still have your book. I actually have it here. It was awesome, okay? Uh, the author's name is Ray Johnson. It's a book called Jesus Called, and he wants his church back. <laughs> it's awesome. Well, I only have one copy, and it belongs to John, so I can't lend it out. <laughs> In this book, they, they talk about this survey, this study, by a man called Christian Smith, and he had one question he wanted to ask. The American youth... That question was, what do they believe about the Bible? Do you want to know the answers? Oh, good. We should care. This is the next generation of believers, y'all. We should care. What they found out as the results of the survey were so drastically, drastically different than what this book actually says that they had to make its own name for it. It's called moralistic therapeutic deism. I had to practice that like 45 times. Moralistic therapeutic deism. Now, do you want to know the top five results of the answers they gave, what they thought they believed about the Bible? Okay. All right. Hey, you asked, okay? I have permission now. Number one, a God exists and he's watching over us. Okay. Not a God. I know about the God, right? I'm glad you caught that. We're we're, we're off to a good start. Don't worry, it gets worse. (laughs) Number two, God wants people to be good, nice, and fair, and get along with everybody. Now listen, I don't think we should be jerks, right? (laughs) 
uh, we certainly should be salt and light, but can I tell you, we should also speak the truth in love. Can I also tell you that iron should sharpen iron? It's not like God is Mr. Rogers and it's all good in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, okay? Sometimes this is tough. Number three, the central goal in life is to be happy and feel good about ourselves. Again, this is what the Christian youth believe about this book. They did thousands and thousands of interviews, okay? Thousands of interviews. It was published by an Oxford Press. It's legit. This is what they believe about this book. The central goal in life is for me to be happy and feel good about myself. Now listen, I teach my kids that boldness and confidence is good, okay? But I also teach my kids this book isn't all about your happiness. <laughs> happiness is temporary. Like today, boy, when my lions stomp on Carolina, yeah. let's go. I'm going to be happy, 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 okay? Thank you. Thank you. Listen, I know we're not going to the Super Bowl, but a playoff win would be okay. Go Honolulu Blue. I can't afford them. They're too expensive. They're good now. Anyway, we're getting off track. <laughs> but this book does not say we're always going to be happy. But my joy... Unlike happiness that is based on temporary circumstances, okay? My joy is found in the Lord, and the Lord does not shake. He does not move. You cannot take my joy, okay? And on top of that, as far as we're talking about happiness, right? Can I, can I present to you this morning that God may care more about our holiness than our happiness. God may care more about our holiness than our happiness. This scripture is not in your notes. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16, if you want to write this down. As obedient children, not conforming ourselves to former lusts, but he who has called us holy is holy. So we should be holy in all our conduct. Because it's written, be holy as I am holy. Friends, holy means set apart. Not like the world, okay? Number four, God doesn't need to be involved in my life unless something goes wrong. Oh, listen, don't act like you haven't been there before. Right? We only talk to God when we need something, right? <laughs> Can I tell you, okay, a little bit about my life. I'm an introvert, like I'm super uncomfortable right now. <laughs> and my office at home is in a dark corner in our cold, quiet basement. I love it. It's awesome. But when I have a need, I hop on the newest marvel of the world, Amazon Prime, right? And I order something, and whatever I needed is there in two days. It's crazy. But if we're not careful... God can play our on-demand God. Can I tell you? Certainly, God wants to know about our problems. Certainly. But more than that, he wants to be a part of our everyday lives. Number five. Good people go to heaven when they die. Oh, listen. 
that's tough, okay? That's tough because I know a lot of good people, but they don't know Jesus. Can I tell you, Jesus himself says that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can have access to the Father except through him. Now, friends, look at this list. That's what the American, well, some, in their defense, some American youth believe about this book. Notice, there's no mention of the naughty word sin or the naughty word repentance. Notice, Jesus Christ isn't even up there. Jesus is even there. This is what they believe is the Bible. And do you see the similarities between the churches that Jesus was writing to correct and where we're still at? Listen, I don't need God unless there's a problem. I'm too busy for God anyway. Or God just wants me to be happy. Right? It doesn't matter if it's sinful and it makes me happy. God just wants me to be happy. Now, friends, let me ask you a difficult question. Are you ready? Where do you think they learned that from? Yeah, parents. Sure, absolutely. Society, yes. Churches. Churches. Listen, me, the pastor, the, the church staff, okay? The parents, the churches. I want to tell you how important it is that God remains the number one priority in your life. And I know it's not easy. This is not easy to pick up our cross and to follow Jesus. We're almost done. Now I can say that. Okay, we're almost done. <laughs> Revelation 3.19 says this, As many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. Therefore, be zealous and what? That's a naughty word. Repent. See, Jesus is giving us a loving warning. Church, we can't be lukewarm. Okay? So I began with the question. Now we're going to give ourselves the answer. Jesus is coming back for his church. What kind of church is Jesus coming back to? Do we want to be known as the lukewarm, the spiritually dead church? No. Do we want to be the church that's known for playing church for an hour on Sunday and then the rest of our lives pushing God away? No, we're not too busy for God. Or do we want to be known as the unshakable church with such love and devotion to Jesus Christ to the point where we would daily pick up our crosses and follow him? Amen. Amen. Now listen, I understand that might look different for some of us. Some people in this room might not even have that relationship with God. And in just a moment, we're going to pray, okay? But some of us have been following the Lord for a long time. And we've gotten stuck. And we've gotten stagnant. Okay, we've gotten lukewarm. And church, I struggle with that too, okay? But can I tell you, I don't want to live one more day knowing that Jesus came to earth and he took the nails in his hands and feet. And he took 
a beating on his body that he was unrecognizable. And he took that crown of thorns on his head and he picked up that cross for me and carried it and died for me. How dare I be lukewarm? How dare I be lukewarm? Listen, may we not just ever play church. May we be the church that Jesus Christ so lovingly desires to come back to. Amen. Amen. But doing that requires a choice. It costs us something. Now, it's a good news, bad news thing because the choice is ours. Okay, that's the good news. Now, the bad news is the choice is ours. We don't have to make it if we don't want to. So I want to invite the worship team up. I have some closing thoughts for us, and then we're going to worship the Lord together. And I feel like there's some people in this room today that think just because you come to church every once in a while, but then you go home and you live your life far from God, that you're right with God. Friend, can I tell you that the Bible does not say that God so loved the world that he sent church attendance? Listen, y'all laugh, but this was me, okay? I'm just being honest. (laughs) There's some of us in this room that have prayed a prayer many years ago. And then we went about life living far away from God, and we think we're right with God. Can I tell you, this Bible does not say that God so loved the world that he sent a prayer. Friends, can I tell you, the Bible says that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, but it comes at a cost for us. We have to deny ourselves. We have to pick up our cross, a cross which is a death mechanism. And we have to follow Jesus with everything that we have. Now listen, he doesn't want just our leftovers. He wants our first love. Revelation 3.20, this is our last scripture. It says, Behold, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in with him and dine with him and he with me. Now, if you do me that favor and read through these letters, you'll see that Jesus says he's the key holder of death and of Hades. He owns the keys. But the one place... Jesus needs our permission to enter is the door of our heart. And some of us are about to make that decision for the first time. And I'm so thankful and honored and proud of you. But some of us have heard that knocking and let him in. And then through our lifestyle, through our busyness, through our struggles, our option of choosing sin over Jesus, it seems like we're forcing him out. But yet, Jesus still stands at that door and knocks, waiting for us to put him back as our first love. 